Thank you for downloading the Kol Hadash podcast. This is episode 47, our high holiday series for the Jewish year 5773. Due to technical difficulties, the primary recording was corrupted and the backup recording was used. I apologize for the quality of the audio. When you buy something new, do you read the owner's manual? I don't. I generally try to start figuring out how to put it together and work it by myself. If someone gave you the owner's manual to life, I imagine you might want to read it, and read it again, and again, and again, in great detail, very carefully, with expert teachers and references to explain exactly what this manual for life means. Some believe there is an owner's manual for life, except you aren't the real owner. The owner, capital O, is still in charge, and he has left very detailed instructions for what you are supposed to do. The Torah is the manual, and as the rabbinic saying goes, turn it and turn it, for all is inside it. The tricky part is figuring out how it all works together, Do not murder, but when can you kill to save another life? Honor your parents, but what if they are thieves? In Shalom Auslander's story, it ain't easy being supreme. A do-nothing named Epstein creates two golems, two creatures, who must do exactly what he commands, and this is what happens with the laundry. Either Golem was doing very much at all these days, stuck as they were in their constant debate about the meaning, intricacies, and inferences of Epstein's instructions and commands. Epstein clearly said to separate whites and colors, said Golem 1. I don't disagree with that, said Golem 2. I disagree with how you interpret the word colors. You hold that any amount of color constitutes color, whereas I hold that it has to be a significant amount of color. The pile of soiled clothing in the center of the laundry room had already doubled in size. Dirty linens were piled high in the sink, underwear hung from every doorknob and light switch, and Epstein's mother's beige underwear bras were hung sloppily over the top of the laundry room door. But what is a significant amount of color? asked Golem 1. Golem 2 cited Notebook 4, page 42 of Epstein's Laws, concerning the taking out of the garbage, wherein the garbage being significantly full meant that the lid could not be closed. According to Golem 2, significant therefore meant a majority of or a predominance of. Golem 1 argued that the garbage was a different ruling entirely because it depended on the day of the week. That is, the time the garbage was picked up, but on the amount of garbage, as was the issue in the case of the dirty laundry. Epstein separated the whites from the colors himself, filled the washing machine, slammed the door, and left. The golems fell to their knees and begged for forgiveness. Behold, before you I am like a vessel filled with shame and humiliation. May it be your will, O Epstein, that I not sin again. How many commandments are there in the Torah? More than 
the seven laws supposedly given to Noah, more than the Ten Commandments on Moses' tablets, and not fifteen commandments that broke into ten either. Some claim six hundred and thirteen commandments, though the rabbis came up with that number based on the numerical value of the Hebrew letters in the word Torah. And no two lists of six hundred and thirteen are the same, which suggests that people making the lists need to get to the magic number six thirteen rather than counting and then seeing what they get. The Talmud often asks questions like, from where do we know in the Torah that we can break Shabbat to save a life? They already know that they can break Shabbat to save a life. They're just looking for a way to prove it after already believing it. The more important question for us tonight, our not-so-innocent question for Kol Nidre, what do commandments, what do mitzvot have to do with ethics at all? This high holidays, we have explored our Torah. Beyond the traditional five books of Moses, what do we want in our ark? We use the written Torah as a symbol of wisdom, the beginning, if not the end, of Jewish insight into the human condition. We know that its stories are myth, not history, and we saw on Rosh Hashanah how adding history to our ark deepens our understanding of life, and of the Torah and its development. On Yom Kippur, we seek forgiveness from others and from ourselves for what we have done wrong in the past year. But how do we know what we have done wrong unless we know right from wrong? This evening, the time of the year to turn inward and consider our actions, looking to be better people in the year to come, we need to know, is this the path or is there more than one? Traditional Judaism said very clearly, this is the path. No turning to the right or to the left. Follow these rules and live, break these rules, and you will regret it. One rabbinic story notes that before the Sinai Revelation and Covenant, the people assembled, it says in the Torah, Tahatahar, often translated as at the foot of the mountain, but literally it means under the mountain. The story in rabbinic literature is that Yahweh offered the people a choice, with the mountain hanging over them. Take the covenant, or The written Torah is full of such carrot and stick passages. Obey and be rewarded, break the rules and be punished. Another famous rabbinic version of this covenant says that God has shot the Torah around to the different peoples of the world. Each one has to know what was in it before they would agree to follow it. Of all the peoples in the world, it was only the Hebrew people who said, we will do and we will hear. In other words, we agree. Now tell us what's in it. From this we can learn that you should always read a contract before signing. <laughs> the rabbis who told us that story believed that unconditional obedience, accepting the yoke of the commandments, was a positive good. We might ask, does wearing a yoke make you an ox? Both of these covenant stories assume that because your ancestors accepted this contract, you are bound by it, all of its terms and clauses, as well as the authorized interpretations, the oral Torah of the rabbis. Follow the commandments as we tell you to follow them, or else. Do what you are told. Because I said so, those are the rules. Every parent 
has resorted to those statements. On reflection, we realize that there are higher levels of ethical reasoning. And we know there are problems with because I said so. If our children only learn to do what they are told, they might also do what someone else tells them to do. Now, there are times we listen to rules, we subordinate our personal desires to other concerns. Ethics doesn't mean do whatever you want, whenever you want. We can certainly rely on lessons from the human experience that do not need to be relearned or rewritten in every generation. Fast thing I know before is a rabbinic interpretation of the Torah commandment to afflict your souls on the Day of Atonement. Punish yourselves, lest ye be punished. But Rabbi Marzutra in the Talmud says, the merit of a fast day is in the charity. What you give to others that you have not spent on yourself. Some of us do not fast, others choose to fast for their own reasons. One more example of running our own lives and not just doing what we are told, regardless of the reasons why. Do or do not, but think for yourself. There is a second problem with commandments or else. What if the or else part doesn't work? For all of those biblical threats, human suffering is not limited to those who eat bacon. Deuteronomy 22 presents a very clear rule. If you find a bird's nest and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. You may take the young, but be sure to let the mother go, so it will go well with you and you will have a long life. There is practical wisdom here. Don't take the chicken, just the eggs, and she may lay more. Then we read a story of Rabbi Elisha ben who saw a man climb a tree on the Sabbath and take both the mother and the eggs. A second man waited until after Shabbat, then climbed the tree and took only eggs. And when he came down, a snake bit him and he died. Elisha said, what happened to Deuteronomy? What good, what long days has this man received? The only solution the rabbinic story offers is Rabbi Akiva's explanation that rewards means in the world to come, not this world. Now we who live and love this world and only this world are not impressed. <laughs> there is a third problem with mitzvot or else. What if what we are told to do is itself not ethical? We Jews know that just following orders is no guarantee of ethical results. We also know that values change over time. Deuteronomy is very insistent that when the Israelites conquer Canaan, they wipe out the inhabitants, lest those Canaanites tempt Israelites to worship other gods. In Vietnam, they said, we had to destroy the village to save it. Here the value is, we had to destroy them to save us. Our only consolation is to remember that the Torah was written centuries later, during clashes between Israelite polytheism and Yahweh-only priests. The Torah's editors wished the Israelites had exterminated the Canaanites when they supposedly had the chance. And the fact that they had not done so was used to justify suffering and exile. The commandments to wipe them out, men, 
women, children, even animals, those remain in our Torah. They are very human, and even very primate. We have seen rival chimpanzee groups wipe each other out too. Even in our day, threats to wipe Israel off the map continue. It is tragically ironic, given these Torah values. Is this doing a mitzvah? There are other examples. The status of women, the treatment of homosexuality, stoning to death a man who gathers sticks on the Sabbath, double standards for Hebrews and non-Hebrew slaves, let alone accepting slavery at all. The real question is not whether we want ethics in our heart as part of our teaching, our Torah. The question is whether the written Torah is ethical enough for us to include. Do what you're told. Unfair and irregular consequences and odds with our values. Does such a work merit the title Tree of Life? I painted the picture one-sided. There are many admirable values in the traditional Torah, both the written scroll and rabbinic interpretation. Concern for the lost property of others. Not oppressing strangers because you know what it felt like to be a stranger. Caring for the widow and the orphan by leaving the corners and gleanings of the field for their food. Allowing everyone, even slaves and animals, to rest on the day of rest. Judging impartially whether the plaintiff be rich or poor. Pay a worker his or her wages the same day. So he is not beholden to you and is free to choose to return or to work elsewhere. It is not true that all of our values are found in the Torah. It is not true that all of the Torah's values are good. It is true that many good values in the Torah are also ours. So why not cut and paste? Thomas Jefferson read the New Testament. He liked what Jesus said, didn't like the miracles so much, so he cut those out and he made a Jefferson Bible. Why not just make our Torah, literally, the Torah we want? I gave you three problems with Torah ethics, let me give you three reasons to include the whole thing. First, you don't have to cut to change. We can take the interpretive route. Consider how much in American life has changed by constitutional interpretation, not amending and changing what it says, but by changing what it means, how it is understood, from stopping prayer in schools to Citizens United. When early rabbis read in the Torah that a stubborn and rebellious child should be stoned to death, they knew this would mean the end of humanity. So they defined, clarified, parsed, son, not daughter, not after midst of age, having ignored repeated warnings, and so on, until finally one rabbi declared, at this point, there never was a stubborn and rebellious son, and there never will be. <laughs> now we do not want to make the text say something he does not say. But we also understand that in Jewish life, the Torah can be the starting point of a conversation, not the end. When I worked at the Birmingham Temple in Michigan, I heard that we had once had visitors who asked to see where the altar was for the sacrifices. They had read about the Jewish temple in the Bible. Here's a Jewish temple, there must be an altar for animal sacrifices. You see, living cultures don't fossilize, they don't stay the same. They evolve. 
we can see our evolution in the rearview mirror instead of on a collision course. Second, cutting doesn't make you honest. The original Constitution did not guarantee women the vote, assuming they wouldn't, and it counted slaves as three-fifths of a person. The amended Constitution still includes that three-fifths clause. It is not deleted. We cannot imagine it was never there. It remains as a testament to the moral evolution of our society. We can do the same for our Judaism. We can accept that our values today have improved, while at the same time accepting that some past values are truly timeless and speak to us today. Our values can be reinforced by our heritage or clarified by the contrast. Unless we admit the dark side of our past or of ourselves, we cannot make progress toward the right. And third, our arc is wider. We can handle an imperfect Torah because our identity is defined by our chosen books, not only by passages in one of them. The Dead Sea Scrolls are actually three kinds of books. Some are copies of our Bible's books, except for the Book of Esther. That was this community's common heritage with Jewish civilization. Some of the Dead Sea Scrolls are books that reflect that community's beliefs, but other copies of them have been found elsewhere, which means they were not unique to this group. And then there were the books the community made for itself, the core statements of their beliefs and practices. As Jerusalem was being destroyed in the 70 of the Common Era, this community realized they needed to save their scrolls. They did not save only the Torah and the jars of those caves. They saved all of the literature they valued that spoke to who they were. Our art has these same groups, the works we have in common with all Jews as part of our cultural inheritance, ideas and literature in common with liberal Jews or non-Jewish humanists, and our own particular beliefs and values. Our art is wider. Jewish ethics is nebulous. It can be charitable tzedakah or women's exclusion. When we speak of our Jewish ethics, what we really mean is our values that find a kind of pre-echo in our tradition. Sometimes they are explicit commandments. Sometimes they are interpretations given to harsher texts. Sometimes they are the lived experience of our people. The charity fund that extended caring for widows and orphans to providing dowries for poor brides. The ultimate fulfillment of teach your children with the creation of perhaps the very first public schools. Our art is wider, holding values beyond our tradition, individualism, responsibility beyond ethnic tribe, celebrating diversity, freedom of thought, free expression, free practice. These are not particularly Jewish values or Christian values or Muslim values, even though one can find support for them from our experience, if not from the Torah. But these are emphatically our values, and they deserve the place of honor we give them. The truth is that while mitzvot, while commandments may not have much to do with ethics, mitzvahs, good deeds, certainly do. When the reform movement took off in America, they eliminated bar mitzvahs. Why celebrate accepting the yoke of ritual commandments when we've defined Judaism without ritual commandments? The same thing animated early secular Jewish schools, who also had no mitzvah ceremonies. If we don't do mitzvot, 
Why have bar mitzvahs? When we celebrate bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs, we face this challenge head-on with the power of cultural evolution. Today, doing mitzvahs means as much good deeds as it does commandments. I would argue that wiping out Canaanites is an anti-mitzvah, even if it is commanded. We're all about the mitzvahs, as we understand it living. If we find our mitzvahs, our good deeds, in the written Torah, all the better. If not, they still find a place in our heart, not because of who said so, but because they improve our lives. Remember the end of that Auslander passage about wandering? The goal was trying to follow commands, getting caught up in the details. What's the result? Everything has to do with his laundry himself. Separating lights from darks, removing stains through his own work and examination. So do we all. Happy Healthy New Year to all of you. This podcast was recorded and produced by Ken Burke on behalf of Rabbi Shalom and Kol Hadash in conjunction with Repatriation Studios. I'm Ken Burke, and thank you for listening.